0: Listening to History Man 1781, a project of eKbarnes.com, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's podcast, we have Zach Limhouse, the York County, South Carolina historian and director of the Southern Revolutionary War Institute for the Cultural and Heritage Museums of York County. Welcome, Zach.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Zach, we've talked a little bit about York County and and how it played a role in the Revolutionary War, especially in terms of producing militia under the auspices of General Sumter. Uh, But York County has much more of a role in the Revolutionary War than even that broad stroke. I'd love to hear your insights of how York County played a role in the Revolution.
1: Sure. So um, let's start out with just doing a brief overview of what York County was like. Just okay. Just, um, and I'm going to go from the f- kind of the founding of York County up through the Revolution. Um, so you know, earlier on, prior to Europeans even coming to this area, we of course had Native American tribes like the Cherokee and the Catawba that inhabited much of present-day York County. They typically built their villages near the county's many rivers. Um, so, what rivers run through York County? Of course, we got the Catawba River. Um, these these rivers were great because they provided uh, excellent modes of transportation. Plus, they were very good at um, crop irrigation. It was a very effective way to irrigate the crops for these Native American on tribes. The we,
0: on the western side of York County, we have Broad River too. Is that that broad, correct? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like uh, we the, the, we are sandwiched between
1: end. the Broad and the Catawba right, rivers. Right. Yes, sir. So you had the chair. Were the Cherokee down this far? Um, not as uh, prevalent as the Catawba would have been. Okay, um, the Ch- Cherokee typically remained in the Blue Ridge. We're typically in the, in the Piedmont, That's is where it. we are now, of course. But um, typically you saw Cherokee in the Blue Ridge. Now, you would have some Cherokee that would cross into what we consider today as the Piedmont. Of course, back then when these Native American tribes were, were in this general area, these boundaries that we see on a map, Blue Ridge, Piedmont, Sandhills, intercoastal, outer coastal. coastal. These land regions, this is more of a modern concept. Of course, these Native Americans didn't have this concept of, now I'm in the Blue Ridge and now I'm in the Piedmont. So typically you would see Catawba, but you would see some Cherokee as well in, in, in the Piedmont. Um, like I said, the, these rivers that they, they built their homes on, great for transportation, great for crop irrigation. They typically – there are were, there were a lot of differences with these different Native American tribes, but if you wanted to focus on um, a similarity – Typically, they all grew um, similar crops. They called them the three sisters. You had corn, pole beans, and squash, which made up the primary diet of these early Native American tribes in what is now York County. Um, They constructed palisades to protect their villages, but most importantly, they created trails that would connect these villages to one another. And when Europeans begin to arrive in York County in the late 1740s, early 1750s, they will commandeer these Indian trails, these Native American trails, and they will turn them into wagon roads for transportation. I think the best example of this um, is the okanichi Trail, which is the southernmost leg of what's, what we refer to as the Great Wagon Road that I extended see. south from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania.
0: So talk to some historians in Camden, South Carolina, and 521, Highway 521 mm-hmm. runs right through Camden, came right through there. And uh, and that was that portion of the Great Wagon Road that sure. actually went up through the waxalls and that sort of, and, and it came to through York County, is Absol- that what you're saying? Absolutely
1: it's part of that trail, all part of the same system. I see, I see. Um so the early Europeans when they arrived, they they typically came from, from Scotland. Your your early Europeans in this area were from Scotland, um, the lowlands of Scotland, but the vast majority didn't immigrate directly from lowland Scotland. A lot of them immigrated to Northern Ireland prior to coming to the American colonies, if that makes sense. I see. This Northern Ireland, um, this area, I should say, of Northern Ireland was known as the Ulster Plantation, Um, so the people that lived there became referred to as Ulster Scots. I see. Um, These Ulster Scots, when they started to immigrate to the Americas, they began to self-identify as Scots-Irish. And this is where we get this term, Scots-Irish or Scotch-Irish. Uh, the idea is they wanted to differentiate themselves from the Irish who were Catholic. A l- lot of the Scots-Irish were Presbyterians. So they they took on this moniker of Scots-Irish to differentiate themselves from the Catholic-Irish.
0: They really sense. were coming out of uh, Great Britain uh, during a great deal of uh, – Religious wars. Absolutely. I mean, well, you had the Catholic, you had the Church of England, and now you had the Scotch-Irish that were really a, a branch of uh, Protestantism, correct? Absolutely. And, and they were trying to find their way and find their niche uh, in the new world. So interesting. That Why did they end up here? Of all the places, why, why here?
1: Well, typically, like I said, they would immigrate into different major ports in the uh, early 13 colonies, but typically we, see, we saw a lot of them come into Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And then from there, they would travel south down one of these Indian roads, Native American roads, that were reappropriated, right, for, for European travel. Um, right. and, and like I mentioned earlier, it became known as the Great Wagon Road. So they would travel south, these Ulster Scots and Lowland Scots. They would they travel south, and then they would branch off. In different areas, so it's not that they just traveled in one congregation and all ended up in York County. They would branch off in Virginia and North Carolina, and then South Carolina, uh, and, and they would branch off when they found a spot that that suited them. These different families would branch off and and, and start a, a home. So, and and this is uh, we will be talking uh, a lot about the Bratton family um, okay. since uh, being. Part of the Culture and Heritage Museums, if you're not aware, the Culture and Heritage Museums, which I work for, um, is a museum family of four different museums, one of which is historic Brattonsville. So uh, a lot of my work here with the Culture and Heritage Museums is understanding the Bratton family. In the Bratton family, their ancestors can be traced back to these Ulster Scots that traveled south down the Pennsylvania Wagon Road. And, and came into York County.
0: So some of the other names in York County that settled around that time are, are what we had the McClure's? Sure were you
1: have the Neils, the McClure's, the Lacy's, a lot of different families that have a very similar backstory. to where they they immigrated in and they came south down this wagon road and, and broke off. For example the Lacy's they they spent a lot of their time in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, they just stayed there. And then Edward Lacey, who's going to be a major player here in in York County, um, he's a commander of a militia in Chester. He's going to be at the Battle of Williamson's Plantation, which we'll discuss in another podcast. Um, And he spent his young life in Pennsylvania. And then when the French and Indian War broke out, he's going to leave and he's going to join up with General Edward Braddock. um, And Braddock's failed expedition In in Western Virginia. With Washington. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And Daniel Morgan. Absolutely. Okay, so just to get a better understanding of of York County, uh, York County is situated in the foothills um, between the Catawba River and the Broad River. Uh, And it is part of what today we call the upcountry or the backcountry of South Carolina. When South Carolina was a colony, um, and if you look at it on a map, the backcountry. Is physically the largest part of South Carolina. Um, the Low Country and the Back Country have a lot of differences that are very important. The Low Country is where you tend to see your elite. This is, of course, where a lot of Europeans, when they came over, arrived first. I'm talking early South Carolina settlements when we were still kind of starting out. Um, they, of course, hit the coast first because they were coming over from England, and this is where your elite tend to be this is your wealthy plantation owners in the back country you tend to have your poor subsistence farmers right as a result you have a large african-american population in the low country and a much smaller african-american population in the back country for the simple reason that the economy of the low country needed african-american slaves to operate the economy of the back country was for a long time just subsistence farmers who were only growing enough crops for their families to survive. So typically you didn't need a large number of slaves to operate in that kind of economy. Um, Another big problem, though, with the upcountry or the backcountry – I'm going to use those terms interchangeably. By the time of the American Revolution, it was referred generally as the backcountry. That's what people tended to refer to this portion of South Carolina. So the back country of South Carolina had a certain degree of lawlessness. Your um, sheriff, your courts, they were all, at least prior to 1769, they were all in the low country. And to combat this lawlessness, um, vigilante groups were formed. One in particular was called the regulators. And these regulators acted as judge, jury, and executioner. They took the law into their own hands. Um, but they were operating unchecked so you know it started out where they were taking care of cattle wrestlers or th- or thieves and then uh, it gradually now pro- my
0: understanding is they were using the thieves were using the great wagon road as well sure to steal from the from the back country and then take that cattle and take those horses up to pennsylvania and sell them up there under the guise that everything was legit but it really wasn't they were stealing it, stealing them from the backcountry settlers here
1: Absolutely and, and prior, prior to the regulator movement, there really was no one to stop them right um, So the regulators did curb crime, but it would gradually progress to not just taking care of cattle rustlers and thieves, but they might start settling disputes with their neighbors and it, it got out of control. So to provide a check, and balance for these regulators. Uh, another group was formed called the moderators. So from 1767 to 1768, we have a civil war that is occurring in South Carolina's backcountry: a uh, regulator-moderator conflict. And this conflict is going to end in 1769 when the Circuit Court Act is passed. Um, the Circuit Court Act of 1769 is going to divide South Carolina into different legal districts, and at the center of every legal district, you're going to have a court and a sheriff to kind of take care of any kind of lawlessness that might be there. So it rendered the regulators um, unnecessary at this point.
0: Let me ask you this. The clannish makeup of the Scotch-Irish, did that not just kind of fester even after that point? I mean, it, it, passing a law saying the regulators are, are, are null and void— Absolutely, doesn't doesn't get in. That doesn't take care of the uh, the family squabbles and the and the feuds that that came out of this.
1: That is that is an amazing point. And I was actually going to get to that, and I appreciate you bringing it up because this this hatred for one another, this regulator moderator conflict, doesn't magically end with some piece of legislation that creates courts in the backcountry. It's going to carry over, and it actually carries over into the American Revolution. Right. Generally speaking, not all the time but generally speaking your regulators tend to be your patriots during the american revolution and your moderators tend to side with england and they're your loyalists so this idea that there was like we spoke earlier before we started recording there's this misconception that there really wasn't anything going on in, in south carolina especially the back country of south carolina until the fall of charleston in 1780 and that is uh a misconception. It's very far from the truth, especially when you keep in mind that factions in South Carolina had been fighting way before the American Revolution even started, and a lot of this animosity for one another carried over from this regulator-moderator conflict into the American Revolution. And you've got a wonderful facility here. Thank you.
0: Uh, Your museum here, do you have uh, records of the regulators and moderators coming out of York County?
1: Sure, yes. So, um, we are recording um, for the people at home in the Southern Revolutionary War Institute. and I am the director of the Southern Revolutionary War Institute. It is housed at the McKelvey Center Campus, which is here in York. It is one of the four sites in the family of museums that I referenced earlier. We, of course, have Historic Brattonsville. We have the Main Street Children's Museum in Rock Hill. We have the Natural History Museum in Rock Hill. And then we have um, this, the McKelvey Center Campus. And uh, we are sitting right now in the Southern Revolutionary War Institute, which is a scholarly research library dedicated to the study of the southern campaigns of the American Revolution. But just because we focus on the southern campaigns of the American Revolution doesn't mean we go don't go back earlier than that. Sure. Because as I mentioned, the regulator-moderator com- conflict is very important when discussing the American Revolution. So yeah, we have, we have documents and books on – not only the regulator-moderator conflict in South Carolina, but also the regulator movement in North Carolina, which is a lot different than the regulator movement in South Carolina. So th- we have an abundance of resources here for, for anyone interested in these topics.
0: So you said generally the regulators and the moderators kind of fell in line in the, in the revolution with the loyalists and the patriots. Generally, yes, sir. Uh, so y- you're referencing your research on those documents that you have here and and matching them up? Is that how you come to that conclusion?
1: That's part of it, yes, sir. That's definitely part of it. Um, And I would be remiss not to mention that my my predecessor, who you know, Michael Scoggins, has done amazing research on this. This institute was founded um, under his leadership, um, and he has done amazing, amazing research in this as well. And um, I see on the table you have a copy of his book, The Day at Rain Militia, which I would recommend anyone read. Um, he, uh, I get a lot of my a lot of this research he has done and, and so I'm very lucky in that fact that I get to go back and and build on a firm foundation that, that he's already that he's already built for me sure. if that makes sense so, sure. so I would I'd recommend anyone read that book it's a great book
0: so 1768, 69 we're talking seven years sure. six, uh, eight years prior to the revolution where do we go from there?
1: Okay, so uh, after the formation of the um, Circuit Court Act, these Circuit Courts in 1769, um, we have something occur in 1772, right prior to the Revolution, um, called the New Acquisition. And that's important to understand. Um, See, prior to June of 1772, uh, the boundary west of the Catawba River between North and South Carolina was um, in dispute. Um, both North Carolina and South Carolina were claiming this area. Uh, in fact, uh, land grants were being given from North Carolina and South Carolina f- for this disputed area, and a lot of times those land grants overlapped, and that was that was a big issue. So in, in June of, of 1772, there was a push to create a firm boundary between North and South Carolina. Okay. Um, Thomas Neal Sr., um, who at the time was in Tryon County. Um, Tryon County at the time... Um, also included modern-day York County. Uh, so Thomas Neal Sr., um, of course, his son, um, sons will be present at the Battle of Huck's Defeat. which So we Tryon, will, North Carolina, the county absolutely. of North Carolina,
0: is actually west of here, northwest of here.
1: Right, so tr- so Tryon County, North Carolina, um, included prior to June of 1772, included what we consider modern-day York County. Did it include Mecklenburg as well? Mm-hmm. Because uh, – so York County has changed quite a bit, what what we call it. When William Bratton, um, who is going to uh, move to Brattonsville in 1766, um, he's going to make his home there. He's going to be involved in the Battle of Williamson's Plantation, which we'll talk about in another podcast. When he moved to what we call York County today, the deed actually says he's in Mecklenburg County. Really? Because Absolutely. Because at the time – Modern day, present day York County was considered Mecklenburg County. This was all prior to the new acquisition. Remember, the new acquisition is going to take place in in June of 1772, um, and William Bratton is going to be here in 1766. So the new acquisition has not occurred yet. So there's still a dispute over who actually owns this land. So um, York County has been part of Tryon County. It's been part of Mecklenburg County. Um, prior to this new acquisition. So uh, in June of 1772, Thomas Neal Sr., um, he will have two sons. He'll have Thomas Neal Jr. and he'll have Andrew Neal um, that are going to be fighting at the Battle of Huck's Defeat. They're both present. Um, Thomas Neal Sr. is going to push to make a firm boundary between North and South Carolina. And when this boundary is drawn um, and made official, a lot of what... North Carolina had considered to be land that belonged to them was ceded to South Carolina, and this includes modern-day York County. So in South Carolina, from the South Carolina perspective, this is a new acquisition of land. We are getting land that once was believed to be part of North Carolina. It is now officially part of South Carolina. That's why we call this district the New Acquisition District. So when we discuss the formation of electoral districts, it's called the New Acquisition District because that's, that's the new territory now. That's, that's where York County is. I see. Then the, prior to 1775, there's really no interest in giving backcountry citizens any kind of representation in the General Assembly, in the government of South Carolina. Um, that's for several reasons. Of course, um, backcountry citizens were seen as um, unintelligent, which typically they did tend to be uneducated compared to your low country elite, which were educated. Um, but not only that, there was a concern about the issue of slavery, uh, believe it or not, because like I mentioned earlier, your, your low country elites, they, they were your plantation owners. They needed slavery in order for their economy to operate the way it was operating – Your upcountry or backcountry people typically didn't need slaves. Um, One, they couldn't afford them. They were poor. Mm -hmm. Um, But even if they could afford them, their economy in the backcountry didn't really need slaves to operate. If they are subsistence farmers, then they typically don't need a lot of slaves in order to do that. So there was a concern among low country elite that if too much representation, too much power were given – to upcountry citizens that they might use this power to not necessarily abolish or outlaw slavery, but possibly limit it because there was a concern that they in the upcountry just didn't see slavery as a necessity, which they didn't.
0: Well, so how did the upcountry citizens uh, force their hand? Because I just don't see someone in power giving it up. For, for you
1: know they didn't um, so it was it wasn't as much of a, a, a forcing of the low country's hand as a gradual understanding that power needed to be released for various reasons so the first indication that power needed to be given to some of these backcountry citizens was reluctant re- reluctantly um, done by the low country because they realized they needed their support in what was turning out to be real possibility of war, war with England. So what they did initially was um, – well, the first thought was let's take those legal districts in, in the back country of South Carolina and let's simply turn them into electoral districts, and, and then they can, they can have a voice that way. Low country elite, they were opposed to this idea because the legal districts in the back country were, were fairly large. So what they decided to do was subdivide those legal districts into smaller electoral districts. So the legal district that York County was part of was called the Camden Legal District. That's the district that present-day York County was part of after the Circuit Court Act of 1769. So
0: all the courts would be in Camden?
1: York was lumped up with the Camden Legal District, if that okay. makes sense. York County, modern-day York County. Um, and I can show you a map. Unfortunately, sure. that won't help your listeners. <laughs> but um, this Camden Legal District, where modern-day York County was part of, was much too large for low-country elite. They were concerned that, that this would give too much power to people in the back country. So what they decided to do was subdivide these legal districts into electoral districts. So Camden District was subdivided into three smaller electoral districts. The New Acquisition District, which is where modern-day York County is located, in the New Acquisition District. Then you had the district between the Broad and Catawba Rivers and the district eastward of the Watery River. They weren't very creative with naming some of these districts, as you can see, because these were literally the names of these districts. The district between the Broad and Catawba River, The district eastward of the Watery River and, of course, the new acquisition district, which present-day York County is is part of. Um, And with these new electoral districts, it was required by the governor of South Carolina that these electoral districts raise militias. So this is where you see um, a lot of the militias that are going to be involved in the American Revolution. So, for example, you would have a new acquisition militia for the new acquisition district. This new acquisition militia um, from present-day York County was involved in a lot of, of battles in, early on in the American Revolution. Um, so like I said earlier, this misconception that York County citizens were just kind of sitting on their hands until the fall of Charleston in 1780, and then they got involved, that that's a misconception. You have them involved in the Battle of Reedy River, also known as the Battle of the Great Cane Break on December 22nd, 1775. Um, We talked earlier, it's also referred to as the Snow Campaigns because it was so close to Christmas it it snowed. Um, They're involved in um, an expedition against the Cherokee. It's called the Williamson Expedition. Um, They're involved in expeditions in Georgia, uh, and they're involved in the Battle at Stone Ferry on June 20th, 1779. So the new acquisition militia is very active prior to the fall of charleston but it's important to note that not a lot of engagements occurred in york county prior to the fall of charleston but the militia from york county was very involved
0: from a militia standpoint i mean they would have to muster where would the muster grounds
1: be that's a great question you tend to see the uh, the mustering occurring at the at the center of each Elect these electoral districts because right. um, remember the, the electoral districts were the districts that were being used to count the votes right, for representation but it was also required that these districts raise these militias um, so, so they would muster in each of their electoral districts um, and it is important for me to go back and mention that some electoral districts were still so large that they had multiple militia units so for example the district between the Broad and the Catawba Rivers They had, I think, three different militia units where the new acquisition district was so small by comparison that it it only had one, the new acquisition militia. It is important to mention um, because the next um, podcast or two that that we do together will be discussing some engagements that occurred in York County. And and two of the um, most important ones and most famous ones uh, are the Battle of Williamson's Plantation, also known as the Battle of Huck's Defeat, which occurred on July twelfth, 1780, and, of course, the Battle of Kings Mountain, which occurred on October seventh, 1780. And both of these engagements occurred in present-day York County. So I'm looking forward to discussing those with you.
0: I am, too. The, this, uh, the history coming out of York County is just fantastic uh, and it's something that uh, you and I have spoke about. We both grew up with in York County. Uh, and it's interesting, as you look at the history of the United States, about the only things that are mentioned in the upstate of South Carolina are Kings Mountain, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and Copens. And uh, Cowpens, mainly because of uh, the most recent, you know the the movie The Patriot was there. But Kings Mountain was unique in that it was nothing more than militia coming together and uh, fighting the British in force. Sure,
1: and, um, and the same can be said about about Williamson's plantation as well. You, you have, on both of these engagements, you have exclusively militia, I should say, your patriot forces on both of these engagements are exclusively militia. Uh, for both Huck's defeat, also known as Williamson's plantation, and the Battle of Kings Mountain, you don't have any provincial patriot soldiers present. Now, it is important to make the distinction that just because they're not professional soldiers doesn't mean they're not experienced. So th- these these militia leaders like your William Brattons and Edward Lacy's and John McClure's, they had had experience from the very beginning. Like I said, William Bratton fought with the New Acquisition Militia. He was fighting in the snow campaigns. You have um, John McClure. John McClure is uh, present at the Battle of Williamson's Plantation. He was a member of South Carolina's 3rd Regiment um, for several years at the beginning of the Revolutionary War, so he was a continental soldier. He was a, he was a provincial soldier, and then um, he resigned his commission and joined up with a militia and formed his own militia called McClure's Rangers, right? So a lot of these leaders of these militias, just because they're not, quote, professional soldiers doesn't mean they're not experienced. A lot of them have… A wealth of experience that that makes them very effective on the battlefield.
0: Well, Zach, as we finish up this first uh, part of this series of uh, episodes on our podcast, uh, what do you want people to take away from their visit to York County?
1: Wow. Um, I think I'd like people to realize that York County has a, a diverse background and, and, a, and a very, very diverse history that um, if, if they'll take a moment and, and visit any of any of our sites with the culture and heritage museums, um, in any of the any of the other uh, the sites like the national military parks, um, they will understand that York County has a lot historically speaking to to offer, and not just for the American Revolution, but York County played a, a major role um, past the Revolution um, through uh, the agriculture in in the antebellum period, through through the American Civil War, to to Reconstruction. Um, York County has has a lot, historically speaking, to to offer for anyone that that wants to take the time and, and dig a little deeper. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you asking me to be with you.